Thanks for your warm welcome. You can be seated. We love your church. Victory Church has been a part of my life for years and years and years. When I came to Oral Roberts University uh, in 1980, I found Victory, and I thought I had hit the jackpot, and that was down on Sheridan and everywhere we've been since, and you all have been as a church, but it's just such an honor to be here. We love your family, your pastors, and I want to thank you for coming today. Anybody else feeling that post-Christmas blur? Do I go to church? Do I not? You did, and I'm so glad you did. Nothing like being with the people of God and in the house of God, and so we're just really honored to be here. I'm excited to be here with my husband. I spent most of my years in Tulsa as a single woman woman wondering, now where is my man of God? Thought I was going to meet him over at Oral Roberts University, you know, where, where there's a lot of options. My options didn't play out there, but God knew, and so, hon, glad to be here with you. Oh, honey, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be here without you, that's for sure. Well, this is true. This is true. It's it's so true. I'm glad he knows the reality of it. So I'll just tell you a little bit of my story. Since Lynette is a Tulsa woman, she, she, every good thing that God had, so many things happened in Tulsa. And God puts a value and a premium on places. This is a special place for many of you. Some of you met Jesus right here. It's like, does it get any better than that? And then you met your spouse or so many wonderful things. And so I did not grow up in God. I grew up in a Jewish family, very secular Jewish family, very secular, meaning we we piled on the bacon and the shrimp and we were not kosher at all. And we were agnostic. Uh, we didn't know God. I'd never been in church by the time I was 18 years of age. I finally, for the first time, went to a church, but I'm just really thankful that God found me. How many know you don't find God? God finds you. And that's what happened. I was a, uh, when I was 15 years old, the lady up the street, uh, she's a, a Baptist lady, and she had targeted me for her prayers, and, and she actually brought me a Bible, a big green Bible called the Living Bible. And uh, come on, some of the older folk, you know what I'm talking about, the Living Bible. And it was, uh, it was interesting, when you're 15 years old and you're on a hedonistic path, you don't know God. Uh, You don't care about God. You don't care about church, all that. And yet someone gives you a Bible. So what do you do? And because I was raised in the South, you smile and you say, well, thank you, ma'am. And and then you laugh if she leaves. And so I just shoved it in my closet. Three years later, I'm going off to college. And my mother was helping me to pack the back of my car. And she, she actually ran out into the driveway. And she said, here's a Bible. You might need this. She held up the Bible that I'd never cracked open. And she said, you might need this. And I I said, why would I need that? She said, maybe a literature class or something like that. And I thought, okay, good. My mom just saved me 20 bucks, you know. So so I I actually took it to college. My roommate was delayed. He was an athlete. He was delayed by a week or two. And you know what happened is like I get in, I'm unpacking everything, and and I just touch that Bible, and I think, what's in this? And I open it up for the first time. And 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 a nice note comes out from the lady. I'd never opened it. And in a sweet note, I thought, this is unbelievable. She really cares about me. And a $5 bill came out. So, of course, as, you know, secular person, I'm looking through the pages, wondering if there's a 20 in here somewhere. <laughs> and, and there wasn't. So I went to the table of contents, and I thought, what's in this book? And, and I'm looking through, see the book of Job, the book of Psalms, 
I, I couldn't even say, I was 100% biblically illiterate in America. 100%. But I see my brother's name, and it's Mark. And I begin to read the Gospel of Mark for the first time in my life. And you know what's better than a five or a 20 or a, or a Benjamin? It, it's the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades away, but the word of our God stands forever. And that word began to penetrate into my heart. So around day seven, it was like Jesus of Nazareth walks into my dorm room and helps me to understand what I'm reading. And I surrender my life to Christ in a dorm room, in a secular university. <laughs> Jesus is there. And people have asked us, like, why do we write this, this why do we write this, these books that we're writing and, and on miracles and that. It's just, we just want to let people know that God is active in the darkest regions of the earth, including in New York City. God is actively moving in Manhattan in particular. When you cut on your TV and you see all the secular shows and all the sex in the city and all the different things that you see that are coming out of Manhattan, I want you to know and I want you to be aware and I'm pleased to say that Jesus Christ is moving in Manhattan. Jesus is moving. And literally thousands have come to Christ and it's been our pleasure and our privilege to work with so many people and to see God move in such an awesome way. And obviously he's moving right here. I mean, if Jesus is setting up his kingdom next week, I wouldn't be surprised if Tulsa's capital. I mean, really, I am pleased to say. But at the same time, you guys are actively making sure that God is gonna move in every crevice in your city every crevice in your town, and you're not just a local church, you're also a global church. We call that glocal. You are a glocal church reaching the world, and we're just so happy about all of this. We wanted to, as we were praying for you, getting ready for this message, and you saw the cover of our book called Miracles in Manhattan. We've been talking a lot. We just celebrated our 20-year anniversary for our church in New York City. After I was in Tulsa for 20 years of my life, um, still waiting for my husband and all those things, the door opened up for me to move to New York City. Um, I had a dream to go to New York. I would walk the halls working at Oral Roberts University for 10 years after I'd graduated from there. And I would wonder, how will I ever get to New York? I had that seed of a dream. Do you ever have a dream in your heart that you just can't let go of? And you wonder, is it so me that I just hope it's God? Or is it really so God that I just can't let go of it? And I, I'm here to tell you now, I'm having a birthday in February, turning 60, and that's crazy. When I came here as an 18-year-old, it goes fast. I want to, Pastor Sharon's one of my heroes. I want to look like her, be like her. Um, and, and, you know, it goes from glory to glory in God, right? Glory to glory and strength to strength. That's how we do it. But it's, um, now I lost my train of thought. Oh. Yeah, so I'm walking about, thinking about New York, and I'm here to tell you, because I know now in my 60 years, that if there's something in your heart and you cannot let go of it, I want you to boldly believe that's God. Because the desires, God's working in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It says the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied, and if they're not fully satisfied, then keep being diligent, because God has yet to answer those prayers. And so we've been thinking, uh, well, so I get this opportunity to move to New York City. I knew one person. She was on campus working as a campus crusade um, witness, evangelist there at Columbia University. And God put me in the middle of New York City. And every morning between 8 and 9 a.m., I walk through the World Trade Center to go to my job. 
at Deloitte and Touche, big accounting consulting firm, every morning, except on the morning of 9-11 in 2001. And instead of walking through those buildings that morning as those planes were beginning to hit, and the whole world watched as New York City became the epicenter of September 11, 2001. Instead, that morning, I was in a meeting in Hartford, Connecticut, and I sat in that conference room with the rest of the world and watched those towers fall. And, at, and as, we, as those ashes were burning for months, and as the, the rumble was going on there in New York City, I didn't know that a group of pastors was driving in the city as everybody else was leaving. And one of those was a man named Ron Lewis who looked at the rubble of Ground Zero and said, that's my life right now. Been married for many years and was going through a really rough time and going through his own 9-11. I'll let you pick it up there. Yes, I was going through my own 9-11, uh, the D word, the divorce. And it was a very tragic thing. I never planned for it, never even imagined that I would be someone who would go through a divorce. And if you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's such a strong stigma to people. And we want to destigmatize and say that God is the God of a second chance. And God is just so gracious to us and so good to me in that particular setting um, where he actually called me when I was going through this terrible situation. And he actually called me. He said, I want you to go to New York City. And I want you to work there, and I want you to build there. And I was, I'd already started this church in, in North Carolina, Raleigh-Durham, uh, Kings Park International Church. And, and so after 9-11, a little did we know that when we got to the streets of New York City, we began to walk around. And the minute I saw the smoke coming up, I heard a voice in my heart that out of these ashes, I'll build a great church. I had no idea that we would be a part of that, but God made it clear we needed to start a church in Midtown Manhattan. And we did. We had no budget, we had no checkbook, we had no 501c3, we just launched it because the need of the hour demanded that somebody do something. And God was nudging us to do it. And so here I was, a single man, uh, a single dad, going through this is the worst time in your life to start a church is when everything is just going south. But when everything is going south in our life, Jesus is not. Jesus is moving forward. And so if we could just grab hold of him, he's gonna lead us through. So we did what we thought we knew to do. We put an ad, a full-page ad, in a, a, a Christian magazine, a national, international Christian magazine. The full-page ad had our pictures in there and said we're launching. Called it The Miracle on 44th Street because we were launching out of a theater on 44th Street. We were launching there, and we thought, well, certainly our Christian people who might have heard about us or whatever, they're going to come. And, and unfortunately, after three months, full-page ad, we had a few people coming in from the community, the city, and already God was moving, and people were looking for a church, and they found us. But as far as that ad went, it was a disaster. <clears throat> I mean, only one person showed up from a very expensive, sacrificial thing that we did. We poured out a lot of money for this ad. I've never advertised in any Christian magazine before or since, especially since when you have nothing like that, nothing went forward, except that. That one person who found us and responded is right here. He got a good deal for that ad. <laughs> I mean, interesting twist, too. I was sitting in my parents' living room right up the street here, right behind the City of Faith, Cityplex, and uh, my mom was reading a magazine. We were reading, it was Christmas. She was reading a magazine, and she saw this ad. She goes, oh, do you know about this church? Well, they, these guys look like ORU kind of guys. Maybe, you know, maybe you want to check out this church. And I went to the church, and the rest is history. See, God is into the details of our lives. 
And what seems late for us is right on time for the kingdom. You know, when, when we agree to be a part of the kingdom of God, we let go of our timeline on many things. After the first service, I was praying for a number of people down here at the altar who don't understand the timing of God and why certain miracles that they've been believing for have not yet happened. And it's one of the joys of getting older is realizing that so often it's not even about you. You know, we take it personal. Why is God not answering my prayer? Am I not fasting enough? Am I not believing enough? I had people tell me, you want too much in a husband. Maybe you need to tone yourself down a little bit, Lynette. Maybe you need to do, right? We're all well-meaning. We want to solve each other's problems when we're waiting for a miracle. But there are times when the kingdom of God is advancing and we get to be part of it. And if we'll just stay the course and let our faith rise up and be strong and not doubt the goodness of God in the land of the living, we will see the miracles. And I'm so glad that at the age of 42, I married the man of my dreams. It was different than what I thought, but it was better than what I expected. And that is how God works in our lives. So that's a little bit of our miracle story, and now we want to just remind you there's a miracle in your house also, and that's the, that's the theme of this message. There's a miracle in your house. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. You like that, huh? Now the wife of one of the sons, verse 1, of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. You know, we could just pause right there and just think, you know, isn't it, isn't it true that as a child of God, it doesn't make us immune to the hardships that are in this world? And so many people go through things and they don't have answers for it. But in the end, God will always prevail. Verse 2 says, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house? And she said, your servant is nothing except a jar of oil. And then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbors empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, and your sons, you and your sons can live on the rest. There is a miracle in your house. Whether you see it, whether you recognize it, you realize it. Even this woman, he said, Elijah, so what do you have? And she first answer was nothing. How many of you feel that way sometimes? You, you, you feel that way. You feel abandoned. You feel alone. You feel like there's no hope. There's nothing there. We've all been through these challenging moments just like I was during 9-11. You have these challenging moments. But even the thought that you have community, that is an answer to your predicament, that you're not alone. There are people around you. This woman was part of this prophetic school. That was probably a, a strange bunch of people who were holding fast to the Word of God. And that is the answer. When we have nothing, we do have God. We do have community. We have somebody near to us who can tell us the truth and speak the truth in love. And you see that working out in this particular text and, and just that, that you're not alone. And there is power in community, power in community. God didn't just put us together for no 
reason. It's not random. We are together to encourage one another. It's like 31 another's in Scripture. Encourage one another daily. Serve one another. Give to one another. Pray for one another. There's 30 different things. As we activate those gifts, we are pouring out, and as we pour out, God will give it back to us over and over and over again. So good. You know, when you're, when you're in need of a miracle, so often we don't feel like going into community. Do you ever get just sick of your prayer requests? Just sick of putting that prayer request one more time. There were so many years, I just, all my friends in Tulsa were gathered around me believing that I'm gonna find a husband. I thought, you know, these poor people, I'm just wearing them out. My, my dearest friend, Tony, who has 10 children and was fruitful and multiplying and living a whole different life than me. And, and I would, nothing like a bad date to make you more discouraged and depressed about not having a husband. And all my well-meaning friends set me up on blind dates for years and years. I added it up one day because I thought, it just feels like I've been on a lot of blind dates. And, and I, I kind of estimated, I tried to underestimate, and I estimated that by that point I had been on 65 blind dates. And, and a bad blind date always seemed to thrust me into more discouragement, you know, than just being me and no dates. Anyway, I would call my friend Tony, and I'd say, Tony, I'm so sorry. It's me again. I'm crying about the same thing. And she said, if it matters to you, it matters to me. See, that's what our friends do. Debbie Barker and I believe in for so many years together to, to meet our husbands and turning 30, eating Tippin's Pie at Tippin's Pie Pantry up there on Memorial, just looking at each other, and I'm, I'm like, well, you're beautiful, and you're not weird. You know, I, I mean, <laughs> maybe there's a reason we're still single at 30 years old, and she's like, well, I feel the same about you, and so we just, we build each other up. That's what community does. <laughs> That's what community does. We stay together. Let me interject that, that sometimes people stray and we have to look for that. We stray. Yes. My proclivity in my heart is to go the wrong way. But God gives us shepherds and people. There's a sheep in Australia who became quite famous during this COVID season. The story of this sheep named Barak. And Barak, as you can tell, lost his way. All right. He strayed, during COVID, he strayed away. He was quarantined. He went binging. You know, Netflix, Hulu, did the whole thing, drank a little bit too much, got alone, wandered off, and he began to have negative thoughts about everything, about the church, about everything, about his shepherd. And this barrack was lost for years. This sheep right here, lost for years. True story about the sheep. Yeah, you think I would make it up? I mean, what's the, okay, no, that was, that was other people, but that's okay. Anybody do marriage counseling here? Just kidding. <laughs> so this sheep had accumulated literally 77 pounds of wool. And, you know, Jesus, more than any other analogy, Jesus calls his followers sheep. And that just underscores the reality. We need a shepherd and we need a community. And when we break out of community, we can end up like old Barak. So someone found him. You know what happened? He, his eyes were nearly blind because of the disease, because of the wool, all that. So many things happen. And this is what Dr. Daniel Amen, a, a renowned psychologist who do, has done more brain scans than anyone else in history. He went to his undergraduate across the street at ORU. And he went on and became a very famous guy. And he was the one who created this, this, this word called ants. 
that when he discovered ants in his kitchen, he couldn't stop them and, and just had to learn how, uh, antology, he had to learn how, to, how do I correct this problem here with the ants? And he said, it dawned on him, 80% of human beings, according to research, 80% of our thoughts are negative. 80%. And he said, that's where the ants are like automatic negative thoughts. And he said, the only way to get rid of the negative thoughts is to have positive thoughts. And he calls those pats. My friend, Peter, who is a very renowned uh, derivatives analyst, and he's, he's brilliant, he's a genius. And he got really sick and his heart problem and all this stuff was going on and he pulled me, he, he would call me and say, I think I'm gonna die, I think I'm gonna die. I said, man, let's not look at it that way, let's deal with it differently. And I tried to encourage him, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come, Jesus said, I've come to give you life, life abundantly. He was like concerned for his four children, and he began to give me everything negative, his textbook thing that when you're down, when you're down, that's when the devil wants to beat you. But through positive, encouraging thoughts, and it wasn't me as much as his eight best friends rented out a jet from Delaware, flew down together, and they all stood around his bed when he looked like he was dying, and they encouraged him so much that about three or four day, days later, he popped up and he became totally well. The power of community is undervalued. It's undervalued. We don't need it at the bar. We don't need it at the club. We need it where there's life-giving words and life-giving people who say, I'm with you, even though you're going through it. I was talking to people after the first service who were talking about their debt problems, and I was mentioning about the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they have. That's a, that's a post-Christmas problem. You know, in January, you're going to get the credit card bill. You know that, right? It's coming. But there are so many people who have little solutions, little help. There's so much available in a community like this. You are not alone. Your situation is going to change. 2022 is going to be a breakthrough for you. Yes, yes. I want to encourage you to follow that nudge. When you feel a nudge, someone comes to your mind. You think, I wonder how so-and-so is. Let's learn to realize that's how the Holy Spirit drops in our mind someone's name. It might be a person you think they don't need to hear from me. Drop them a little encouragement. I remember driving down Lewis Avenue. I, this memory is just so strong in me this morning. My dear sister, uh, my only sister, Brenda, um, I remember she was in the car. My mom was driving, and I was just going through such a discouraging time about my personal Personal life. My, my career was taking off at ORU and different things. I was so grateful. But there were those other things, the desires of my heart. And I remember that day, Brenda just pulled open her Bible. She began to read the scripture that says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He is near to the one who's despondent. And she read the verse, and I just simply said, can you read it again? Can you read it again? And all the way down to probably Utica Square, where we usually go, she just kept reading that verse over and over. See, when you can't read it yourself, then you go to someone who knows the word, who will speak the word, who will tell you the world. We live in a day of texting and voice text. Ashley Doherty, one of my precious friends, can't tell you how often we'll just get on voice text. I was thinking about you today, Lynette. Thinking about you today. We just voice text. You do it not because you think they need it, but because God puts something on your heart. That's how we do life in community. And it's such a powerful, powerful tool. And then we make it. I say, I got where I am today on the faith of my friends. 
the faith of my friends, more than my own faith, more than my own fasting, more than my own praying. It's the faith of my friends who refuse to give up when I'm not sure I can believe anymore. And that's why we do life in community. So many of us have loved ones who don't know the Lord. And that becomes a real issue. And as a college student, I was a young believer. As I said, God was moving on my family and my mother was starting to respond. And my brother, my sister, was things were changing when all of a sudden you have a Christmas tree with lights on in your living room. I never knew that growing up. Didn't have that. And Jesus is the light of the world. Light, light does so many things. Light warms, light fills, light helps us to have knowledge. There is no knowledge without light. And it's so basic. So the light was there. But my father was missing because he left the family in my broken home. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was young when my father disappeared. And he did what very few Jewish men do. He left his family, and, and it, was a, it was an empty feeling, of course. And yet, here I was 21 years old, 11 years later, and I'd never seen him. And I read the last verse of the Old Testament, the last verse of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. It says, I'm going to restore the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. And when God, I was reading that, and God was like, you ever read the Bible? You know, the Bible is alive, right? It's, this book is alive. And the word was just coming off the pages, and it got in my heart. And I'm like, oh, God, what does this mean? He said, seek and find. So I called relatives, found out my father had disappeared in San Francisco, California. I somehow scraped together four or $500, got a flight, called him, said, I'm going to come see you. I went out, and we reconciled on the San Francisco Bay. We were taking a, a long walk. And he said, what's happened to you? Why would you come to see me? I said, I came to forgive you. I came to let you know that though you've done wrong, I'm sure you have a guilty conscience, but I've come to tell you it's okay. I've met Jesus Christ, and he gives us forgiveness, and forgiveness is what you need. And I'll say this. Even though many of you feel like a victim, and I was a victim, there are many children today, many orphans, and many children today who are victims. But to be a victim doesn't mean you're powerless. The power that God gave me was to get up and take, the, uh, take on the offense of going into his life and saying, I forgive you. Do you know that most people have never heard those words? You're forgiven. You're forgiven and you're loved. And he said, what really happened? And I told him about my testimony. He said, oh, that's a fad. You're just going through that. I've been through that. I've been with Buddhism, transcendental meditation, Scientology. He began to give me all of his fads. And here, here it is about 40-some years later. It's not a fad. It's the real deal. And Jesus comes into your life. And many of you are watching online, and you're realizing right now, you need the Lord. We already got feedback from the morning message already. People are responding to Jesus all over the world, and this is for you today. He is knocking at the door of your heart. He wants to come in. It's like my little three-year-old, my, my, my firstborn, Nathan, when he received Jesus, he was three years old, and he asked Jesus to come in, and I said, son, describe it for me, and at a third-year-old level, he said, daddy, all I can say, Jesus busted into my heart and got stuck. This is not a fad. This is not psychology. This is not religion. This is a relationship with the very one who created and made you. Today is the day of salvation. 
And God so touched my dad that he came out to see me two years later. He came out to see me from San Francisco. He's on his third wife. Listen, no one is out of reach of the arms of Jesus. Nobody is beyond being reached. People ask me all the time, man, your dad got touched by God. What did you do? I said, I prayed for him. I gave him to God. He said, you must have really fasted and prayed and tried and worked. I said, no, I did none of those things. All I can say is that God is the one who pursues. And the very fact that you're the one person in your family who knows Jesus is a sign. He's coming after all of them. He's coming after you. He's coming after your family. He's coming after your relatives. He's coming after your dog. He's coming after everything. God is going to redeem planet Earth for his glory. When Jesus comes again and even before he comes, things are lining up with the king of glory. Things are happening. So my sweet father then came on his own and he moved out to see. He moved out to be with us. And he got redeemed. He got his second master's degree, this time in Christian counseling. He became a counselor. He became a staff member in our church. He became a man who led dozens of people in the city. I would look out of the church, my church, Kings Park International, like, like where'd that person come from? Where'd that news anchor come from? Where'd that rich person come from? How? And they were all coming in right through his little counseling center. And you know what? God can redeem every situation. But when my daddy, he got born again, it was like watching a movie. He, it was like I was just sitting there on my sofa, and I was watching what was happening in front of my eyes when he just broke down and he cried. It came out of his eyes. He came out of his nose. It came out of his mouth for two whole hours. And I'm just sitting there like I'm watching the Matrix Christmas Day movie. I'm like, whoa, this is like, whoa, whoa. I mean, it's awesome when you see a loved one come to, even not a loved one. We didn't have some affectionate relationship. He was a lost man who turns his life over at the end of two hours of weeping and crying. He was weak and just poured out and he began to get up. It was like he was like hard for him to get up. And then all of a sudden he starts shaking and raising his hands. I'm like, he, no one told him to do that. He's never been to a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church. No one ever told him about that. He'd never been to victory. You know, I mean, he was just like this broken man, and his arms start shaking, then all of a sudden out of his mouth comes languages that he had never spoken in. Right. I'm with you over there, sister. I hear you. I mean, this was a miracle moment, and then he gets up and said, what's next? What do we do next? So I just went. I said, okay, before you leave. I'm not going to give the devil one little inch. I'm going to baptize you in the tub. I turned it on. I turned on the tub, and there's water. There's water. We don't have to go to some ritualistic church to get the... I said, okay, I'm going to baptize you. I called two witnesses. I said, get over here. I'm going to baptize my dad. Your dad? What? Your dad? He hated God. He left you. I said, I'm baptizing him. I'm going to get him back. And I baptized my dad. And I held him under for a few minutes just to make sure. Just kidding. And I pulled him out, and he was born again. Yes. 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 I kept getting a picture in my spirit as Ron was sharing that story. You know, when the children of Israel were going across into the promised land, the priests went into the water, into the, to the Jordan, right? It was Jordan. Jordan River. And they stood there until every last one got across. And some of you right now, you are like the priests 
in the water. You are standing fast because not everyone's made it over yet. And I'm here to tell you that if God can't reach them right now, he is looking upon your faithfulness. He sees you standing in the cold water, waiting until those loved ones come across. God, I'm not, I'm not leaving this water yet. They haven't made it over. I'm not leaving. Some of you praying grandparents, praying generation, you are not relenting, and God is listening to your prayers. God is listening to your prayers. May every name written in the book of life be written in indelible ink, ink that will not fade, ink that will not be tossed and turned by what we see, that faith that says, I refuse to let go. I refuse to let go. And I love when you share about how Stanley, Ron's dad, started sitting right, but, but right behind Ron, even though for the first 20-some years he was nowhere to be found, for the next 25, he was sitting in the second row, and when Ron would get up to preach at Kings Park Church, he would lean up, put his hand on his shoulder, and say, you are my son in whom I'm pleased. See, God is a big God. God can do it. He does amazing things. That brings us to our second point. We need to really focus on discovering what we have to be effective with God. You need to know what you have. You need to do an assessment. What you have. What do you have in your house is what Elisha said. God wants you to know there are things that he's put in you that maybe you're not even in touch with. And that's part of the great thing about communities. We draw out the goodness out of each other. It is so easy to have a mirror effect of showing you what's wrong, of showing you what's off. It's so easy to tell somebody what's wrong with them. But the challenge is, can we help somebody find what's right with them and what's good with them? That's the challenge. Yes. Find out, because God puts something great in each and every one of you. Now, I just think that sometimes we just think it's just too small, it's too insignificant, it's just too little. I have a little gift. Uh, I, you know, you look at someone like Pastor Paul, and not only can he preach and teach, but my goodness, he, he writes songs, and then I watch him, he's on the piano, and then he's on the guitar. I, I, it, it could be, maybe, maybe he plays the trumpet. I, I don't know, maybe he tap dances. I don't really know, but it's amazing. But you know what? It doesn't, doesn't it never starts that way. It starts by cultivating that little thing. That's right. Just that little thing in you, that little trade, that little thing that you can do, put your hand on. God said, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses had a stick. That's what he had. David had a stone. The widow had a mite. Peter had a net. The kid had a lunch that fed 5,000 people. Jesus spoke about the mustard seed, the little things in life, the little town of Bethlehem, the little land of Palestine, the little baby Jesus who changed the world. And Jesus put a value on things that are small and seemingly insignificant. You know, Jesus went into Peter's mother-in-law's house and he prayed for her fever to go away. You think about all the huge things that are going on in the world. So many people tell me, Pastor, I don't want to burden you with my little things. Or I don't want to burden God with my little prayer requests. My small little things. That Now, now think about this. I want to help you here to know that God is the God of the little as much as he is the God of the big. Please, don't think you have to be somebody else. That is a killer Mentality. That is an ant in the kitchen right there, an ant in your brain. It's the little things, the little things. When you're in prayer with God, remember this. For God, everything is small, everything. You know, this building, everything is small to God. The things that God's doing around the world, and we want you to grab hold of that little thing and remember 
go out of this place today and call somebody and tell them, I see something good in you and I want to tell you that. It's so easy to be the complainer. It's so easy, like, I see what's wrong here. We all know and feel wrong so often. We feel guilty. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So be encouraged today. So our first point was the power of community. To have a miracle in your house, we need, the, we need community. Number two, discover what you have. This third point is we step out and we activate. We step out. We just begin to step out. And number four is start pouring. When I was, after I married Ron, he gave me four teenage boys and I really, we wanted to have our own children. And so I, at the age of 45, I got pregnant. I was thrilled. I was overjoyed. I thought it's never too late for God to intervene. And then in two months, I lost the pregnancy. It entered me into years of infertility challenges and problems in my body that I knew not of and believing God and my faith was rising. I was reading Jackie Mize's book, Supernatural Pregnancy, and I was declaring it over my womb. You know, this is on top of 25, 35 years up to that point where I'd been laying hands on my womb. I will be fruitful and multiple. I will have children. And so I just kept declaring it. And in that time of great faith, I wrote in my journal, I'm a double portion woman. I'm going to have twin baby girls. They're going to be named Victoria Joy and Isabella Grace because nothing's impossible with God. And I'm going through this, these years of infertility and all this struggle and all this, this just bad report after bad report after bad report. Yet what about this dream? I want to have twins. What, why can't I let it go, God? And I'm a pastor's wife, and so many of our staff members were having babies, and I'm giving the showers, and I'm praying for people. And the Lord kept saying, just keep pouring out your faith for everyone else. Just keep pouring out your faith. I started praying for women to come up to me and say, I know you're believing for pregnancy. I'm believing for pregnancy. I start praying with them. Soon after, a woman comes up. She goes, you prayed with me, Lynette. I'm pregnant with triplets. I'm like, whoa. Another woman comes up to me soon after. I'm pregnant with twins. And I'm thinking, this is nuts. Everyone I'm praying for is getting the, the, the benefit. And I'm, I'm empty-handed. Do you ever feel that way? We're just pouring it out, pouring it out, but we keep pouring, we keep pouring. And sure enough, eight years ago, right about this time, while our third son, Jordan, some of you know the story, was struggling with stage four cancer. He'd been diagnosed on a summer missions trip in Tanzania, Africa with ORU, junior year of ORU, and he was diagnosed with stage four cancer in his sinuses. And we're believing for a miracle. We're, it was the second time around. He'd been healed the first time. And now he was on his second round. And we're believing for a miracle. And in the midst of that chaos, of the apparent just death in our home, over and over, declaring Jordan will live and not die. Jordan will live and not die. And I get a call from a friend. I'm 52. Ron's 54. I've moved way past believing for that miracle. Anybody here? Past? believing for the miracle. And I get a call from a friend, and she says, Lynette, I'm working with a young woman. She was told she's having a boy. I helped her place the boy. She's going into her ninth month, went in for an ultrasound. It's not a boy. It's twin girls, and I think they're yours. And I was like, oh, Deanna, Ron will never go for this. I mean, and... But we talked, and my, my faith-believing husband, he said, she said, get your paperwork ready if you have any interest. And, and she said, I, I got to have your paperwork. And Ron said, let's just make this our last step of faith. And I said to the Lord, Lord, my bank account's empty. I don't have any faith. 
but on my, the faith of my husband, we'll do our paperwork. And on Christmas Eve, eight years ago, we get a call from this young woman, and she said, can you be ready in three weeks because these babies are coming, and I believe you're the family. And we said, we'll be ready in three weeks. And on Christmas morning, I was in my bathroom getting ready for my Christmas brunch, and I get a phone text on my phone. They're here. Come and get them. They were born on Christmas morning. Victoria Joy and Isabella Grace, because nothing's impossible with God. Three months after Victoria and Isabella were born, our beloved son Jordan at the age of 23 crossed his finish line. You heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And you know, miracles are full of mystery at times. We live in the tension of the here and now and not yet. Yet Jordan's life continues to speak. And when people were sending flowers, we just simply opened a fund to take donations instead of flowers for missions, which is what he loved. And now eight years later, through an organization, we just simply named Jordan Lewis Missions, reaching the unreached, unengaged people groups around the world. There's now how many churches have yeah, been started? Nearly 10,000 churches and literally 21 breakthrough nations where we've seen this happen. And we're so just incredibly grateful. And you know, when, when a seed falls into the ground and dies, it will bear much fruit. No one wants that to happen, but my goodness, life is short and we will spend an eternity with Jesus. And that's really what matters. So I want to encourage you to keep pouring out. If you're in that tension between the now and the not yet, and you don't understand, don't quit believing for miracles. See, we're part of a kingdom, and this has helped comfort me so often. When you're running something, just as a parent, even in the home, so often our kids, they don't understand the decisions we're making. They don't understand why we're saying no or not yet or that can't happen. And they're mad and they're throwing a temper tantrum, but they don't understand that we're running a household. We're running a legacy. We're running a church. We're running a world, whatever we're running. And there are times when a door looks apparently shut or slammed or we're going through a trial. We go up to the king and we say, I'm a king. I'm, I'm living for a king in a kingdom. And in the bigness of the kingdom, we will know someday what God is doing. And we can trust him. We can trust him. We can trust him in the, in the mysteries. We can trust him in the not knowing. We want to just ask everyone right now, just stand up. Let's just, we're going to start to pray and just ask God to meet with you right where you are. But I think one of the things that Elisha said, he said, what do you have? What do you need? What can I do for you? That's a question that Jesus would even ask people. Can you imagine the king of the universe saying, be specific. Just take a moment of just asking Jesus or speaking to you. Say, here's my point of pain. God uses pain. As C.S. Lewis says, he shouts to us in our tears. He remembers your tears. She cried. This woman cried to Elisha. And if you're not one who's in need of a miracle, thank God. But you can be the person God uses to help your next door neighbor, to help your office mate, to help your fellow student. God's gonna put you there at the right place 
at the right time. Now, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. There's no greater gift than having God on our side, no greater joy than having Jesus in our hearts and lives. The greatest miracle of all is coming to know God. That's the greatest miracle. Lord, even as you're standing at the door of so many hearts right now, so many things that you're seeing, it's comforting to know that, God, you see us without condemning us. You care for us without blowing us away. You're a holy God, but you're also a loving God. We want to know you. We want to hear your voice right here, right now. Pastor Paul's going to come up. and I want to just pray before we leave the stage, for, for anyone that has just felt utterly, totally hopeless. You just, you just if you were to add up your hope meter, you're, you're out. It's like your car's been running on empty. You just, need, you just need fresh hope. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? Just, I wanna pray specifically for supernatural breakthrough of hope. God, you see every hand raised and you know every story behind these hands. And right now, I just ask you for an infusion of hope. It's almost like I see you just getting an IV stuck into your arm, an IV of solution. You don't even know what's in that bag that's going into your veins, but right now, God's just, he's just infusing you with supernatural hope. Just receive it right now. Say, God, I receive your hope. Just receive it. Lord, I just declare that hope is going into their veins. Hope apart from circumstances. Hope apart from, from disappointments. Hope apart from hopelessness. Hope apart from hurt. Hope apart from what we've seen and heard too many times to count. Hope now coming from the King of hope, the God of all hope. The God of all hope is infusing you with a new dimension of hope. I just declare hope right now all over in your house in your car in your what you read in what you see in what you hear hope come forth hope to carry you over until you get to your promise until you get to your miracle hope come right now we receive it god we receive it come on can we give a big hand to ron and lynette what a powerful word powerful just as they were praying those of you that raised your hands, I want you to just leave your seat. Come and meet me at this altar right now. Those that raised your hands for hope. I want us just to finish this last weekend with just a, a time of worship and surrender. If you're here this morning, you didn't raise your hand, but you just need a miracle. Maybe you're believing God for something to happen similar to what Ron shared or Lynette, whether it's for a family member to get saved or reconciliation or to get pregnant, like Lynette said, to have children, to see a miracle happen like they did with the twins, that God supernaturally showed up and met her desires with those twin girls. And I've gotten to meet her twin girls, beautiful miracles. Maybe here today and you say, Paul, I need a miracle. I, I need God to do something in my life. And I'm believing that maybe you're believing God for something that could happen before this year is over. Or maybe it's something you're expecting to happen in this next year. As you were listening to the message today, I pray that your faith was stirred, that your hope was stirred. 
that you were reminded you have more than you realize. You have more than you recognize. There are people that are for you. There's a church that's surrounding you. There's a community that's praying for you. We're just gonna take some time right now to worship. And again, if you wanna come down to this altar, we're just gonna pray. We've got some of our altar counselors, our team pastors are coming beside you, behind you. They wanna pray with you and for you. And let's just stir our hearts up to just believe God that there's miracles in the house this morning. There's supernatural. restore or do something new after his divorce. I just felt that there's people here this morning that you've either walked through a season where you're still waiting on something to change or you're waiting on God to do something you've been praying for in a relationship. Maybe you're single. Maybe you've walked through a divorce or maybe you're here today and just say, man, I really have been praying and I've kind of grown weary in well-doing. 
similar to what Lynette was sharing, just wondering, God, do you hear me? Are you still there? If that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to just leave your seat. Come down to the altar and join this group down here. I want to pray that as we go into this next year, that you're going to see not only God do something that you've been praying for him to do in your relationship status, in your own personal dreams and desires, but I believe that even as you're waiting for it, God's gonna renew your hope. He's gonna renew your strength. He's gonna renew your perseverance. That he's gonna remind you that he has not forgotten about you, that he's with you through those lonely nights, that he's with you through those lonely Sunday mornings where you're wondering, God, do you still hear my prayers? Lord, I just pray for every person in the room that's been believing, God, for you to move, Lord, in their life when it comes to relationships, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to restoration, when it comes to a dream being fulfilled, to be married. God, I pray right now, Lord, for the women in the room, the men in the room, God, that have been just steadfast. They've been waiting. They've been persevering. They've been hoping. God, for some in the room who've become disappointed, for some in the room who've become weary, Lord, I pray that you would just refresh their hope this morning, renew their faith this morning, that you see them. God, and what you've done in Ron's life and Lynette's life, you can do in their life. God, I pray right now for everyone who's watching, everyone who's here, Lord, that as we finish this year, God, we finish with great expectation. Lord, surrender. Just pray this with me all over this room. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Everything. My past, my present, my future. And I trust in you. And I lean not to my own understanding. Help me to see what you've already given me. The miracle is in the house. You've been faithful, and I know you will be faithful. So, Lord, I trust in you. Renew my faith. Renew my hope. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, saving me, forgiving me. I repent of my sins, and I confess you as my Lord, my Savior. I'm all yours, God, and I believe my best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because you live in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Victory. God bless you. Let's go into this next year strong. We'll see you next weekend for New Year's Day services. You can join us Wednesday night for a worship night here or Friday night at Camp Victory. If you need prayer or groceries or anything, we're here to serve you. We'll be right here at the altar. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Thanks for tuning in online. Have a great rest of your year. God bless you.